0: So I believe he's going to move here this morning as we transition into what I have to say. We're just going to stay in the spirit of prophecy and a flow of that. I don't really have much of a sermon today, but I have a word from the Lord. Amen. Amen. You know, my favorite sermons that were preached in the Bible. Out of all my favorite sermons, I mean, obviously, Sermon on the Mount was a pretty good one. Jesus did a good job. But I can tell you this, that some of my favorite ones are the impromptu ones that had to be preached that were not prepared to be preached. Peter's the perfect example of that. Peter is the perfect example of that. He preaches a message because he's forced to. Why does he preach a message because he's forced to? Because the power of God shows up so radically in the moment where he prays for a crippled man. That he has to declare what happened. The power of God shows up so radically at Pentecost that he has to explain to all the people watching what just happened. What would happen to our churches if we had to spend the rest of church time explaining what happened? I believe we're coming into that season. I want to be that church that has to spend our time going, well, this was that. See, it's in the Bible. Well, that makes sense because you see here joints came back together because you see how they couldn't walk before. Now they can walk because God, because he said, I want to be the church that explains what happened, not waits and begs and never sees it happen. Amen. So you can go to a church where you talk about it happening it never happened. But as for me and my house, I will go to one where we serve the Lord and watch him move.
1: This morning in worship, I smelled a spirit of fear. How many of you guys know you can smell fear? Yes. Yeah. And the Lord started talking to me about the spirit of fear. And he said, tell my people that if you're afraid of a little line of thunderstorms that didn't amount to anything, it was all bark and no bite, what are you going to do when... The fig tree doesn't blossom and there's no fruit on the vine. What are you going to do when the economy collapses and there's no food in the grocery store? What are you going to do when your government check doesn't come in because the government is broke? And the Lord would say to you that last night the lion of the tribe of Judah was roaring throughout this metropolitan area. And he says, not today, not going to happen with my people. And the Lord would say, too many of my people are allowing a spirit of fear to steal the keys of the kingdom from you and lay them back in the hands of the enemy. And the
0: Lord would say to you, snatch those keys back out of his hands. They
1: don't belong to him. They
0: belong to you. Thank you, Jesus. ready for God to do something transformative in your life. So last night we had swirly, swirly, twirly storms. They didn't amount to much, but we stood outside my house, uh, myself and pastor Isaac. We, we stood out, pastor Isaac, he's not there anymore. He's, He's out of the cage. Okay. So, uh, Right. we stood outside my house and he had never seen tornadic like activity and so we're watching the clouds rise up and we're watching one go up and one go this way right you know how you can tell that tornadoes are in the air that the possibility because the clouds start to move in different directions right the clouds start moving faster and the wind around you stops and you're looking and you're seeing it begin to swirl. And we're looking up at this cloud and I'm seeing it begin to swirl. And, and Pastor Isaac's looking, oh, that's bad, right? I was like, yeah, that's real bad. <laughs> and he goes, well, we're just, he, he, he was starting to want to pray over them. And I said, don't you dare pray them away. I said, I don't need to remodel this house anymore. I said, we got a storm shelter. We're going to go down there and we're going to come up. The house will be gone, praise the Lord. And I said, if Shoshana is praying for the tornadoes to pass my house, I'm going to get her. (laughs) Told her, don't do it. Don't do it. But he's looking and going, oh my gosh, this is crazy. But see, for me, there was a sense of anticipation. There wasn't any fear. Bring it on. Come. And he says, well, how would, but your house will be destroyed. I said, I got insurance. (laughs) They don't got that in Kenya. He goes, so they'll just give you money to buy a new, build a new house? Yep, brand new. Don't have to remodel anymore. I want you to understand the kingdom of God. When you serve God, the kingdom of God implements insurance for you. That no matter what the weather looks like, no matter what storms are circling around you, no matter what destruction wants to come and take you, that if you trust in God, that he is the insurance of heaven. And that he protects us through those situations. That the outcome may not be present in the moment. But there's a security in what Christ is saying in the season. Many times we think that we might be out of alignment with the Lord. Or we might be in wrong alignment. Or we might have missed the word if trouble comes to us. But remember what Jesus says. They said to him, Lord, what will be the signs that you are coming? And he says, look for trouble. Look for trouble. I'm making it real simple. The REN translation. Look for trouble on the horizon and you will see I'm coming. Every time a move of God is coming in your life, do not let it derail you because it starts with some trouble. That trouble is no indication of the end result. So I have a word from the Lord that I want to release over you guys today. And Emily, you can play or not play. That's up to you. But I have a word that I want to release over you about something the Lord spoke over to me about the coming seasons. How many want a glimpse into what's about to happen in the world today? I have been praying over this word and asking the Lord for right interpretation. And many times when I prophesy, like I've said before, I see very accurate. I do not make the claim that I interpret everything perfectly. Where many of the prophetic voice misses it is in their interpretations. So I like to give the word and then give you my interpretation. And if my interpretation happens to be a little skewed, we can adjust it as we go. Amen? Because sometimes we interpret through the information we have at hand. And when new information presents itself, we're able to interpret better. Amen? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, a couple of nights ago, I had a dream. And, like I said at the beginning of this, I rarely remember my dreams. Holy Spirit, just reveal the truth of this dream. Let it plant seeds that reap harvests as the word is released. Let it be your true word and your true interpretation that goes forth. Lord, let there be weight to the words that land and transform. So rarely do I remember my dreams. But when I woke from this one, I remembered every detail and I knew that the Lord was speaking to me. Because it was an odd dream that made sense. And so I was dreaming. I don't remember the start to the dream, but I remember very clearly seeing a tortoise. And this tortoise was beginning to forage in the, I guess, the woods in the brush. It was looking for food. And suddenly, as it was looking for food, a violent winter storm descended. Winter had dropped in suddenly on this tortoise. And as it laid there and it was looking for food, not moving at all, the tortoise went from a green color and began to turn white. It didn't just turn pale or albino. I looked up the albino tortoises. It's nothing like that. But what happened was that the tortoise became still, stagnant and frozen, not white from snow, but white like bone. And when I looked at it, it was like a statue or a bone, not its bones, but the entire thing still intact in its shape, but dry and bone like. And as I was praying for the interpretation, the Lord began to show me Ezekiel chapter 37. And he said, we are in a season right now where this tortoise represents the church. That God has had a plan and a purpose of harvest for it. See, this tortoise was searching for fruit. In particular, the the berries in front of it were just out of its reach. They were up high about six or eight inches off the ground above where the tortoise could reach. So just like six inches above his mouth before he froze and he could not access. There was blackberries and raspberries. I'm giving you all the details. But he could not access them and he froze in that moment of being unable to reach the fruit. And like instantly his whole body became like a dry bone. And the Lord spoke to me about Ezekiel 37, which says to the Valley of Dry Bones, Man of God, this is Israel. The Valley of Dry Bones in Ezekiel 37 represented the nation of Israel that had become dry, that no longer had life in them, that did not have the Spirit of God, yet they were a nation. They were a divided nation. The church has never been more divided in this season. The nation has never been more divided than this season in many years, not in my lifetime. And so the Lord said that tortoise represents the church that's been searching for fruit, but it's moved very slowly in the promises I've laid for it. And so like the tortoise, we've made headway, we've made steps, but we've been just out of reach of the the true fruitfulness that's available to the church right now. And in those moments, I believe that some of the church has just kind of gone to sleep, become dry, and become those dry bones. And the Lord spoke to me about Ezekiel chapter 34. I said, Lord, why have they dried out? And he said, Ezekiel chapter 34. And Ezekiel chapter 34 is all about the shepherds of Israel. It is a a rebuke against the shepherds of Israel. So take heart, church. I'm not about to rebuke you. I'm going to rebuke me. Some of you should amen that one. He's going to step on his own toes. It's going to hurt. That'd be interesting to watch happen, right? So the the shepherds of Israel had gone to a place where they were no longer feeding the sheep, but using the sheep to make themselves fat. That's what the rebuke was. You've begun to make yourself fat off the sheep instead of doing what I've asked you to do, to care for the sheep. And we've come into a season where the church is either not equipping, the shepherds are not equipping their sheep to survive the lean season, to be able to find the food it needs to sustain itself in this season. We have too many churches not really giving out fruit, not giving out the meat. And they're not properly preparing their churches because they don't want to tell them the hard word. It might be lean for a minute. We're going to have to search for some food. Instead, I'd rather tell you, don't worry, it'll be fine while we sit here and starve. And the church is guilty of that. The leaders are guilty of that. We want to give a good word that's encouraging while we thirst. I don't need your encouraging word. I need a drink. Amen. Thank you for telling me it'll be okay. But until you give me a drink, I'm not listening no more. And so we're afraid to say, hey, this place doesn't have provision. We need to move over there. Well, you know, I don't like that word, pastor. And so our pastors have instead just kept the sheep happy enough to continue to feed them and make them fat. And the Lord says in this season that the shepherds need to begin to feed the sheep again so that we can rise up and grow again. We need to lead them to fruit. So in my dream, I saw this turtle that had become a bone, a statue. And I thought to myself, surely it's dead. It had turned totally white. It must be dead. And so I laid down next to this tortoise and and my heart wept. And as I laid down next to it and I got close to it and I put my arm around it to shelter it from the winter, I saw that the tortoise was in fact breathing. That breath came into its lungs once again, like Ezekiel 37, and that it was still alive. And I put my arm around it, and the winter storm raged on around it. And as the winter storm raged around it, I was completely safe and unaffected by the winter. I believe that the Lord is telling the shepherds right now that if we will just simply get around the sheep... That we will not have to suffer the winter as we shield and shepherd our flock. So there is a winter season that is upon us right now. That we are going to go through some hard moments. But I believe that God was showing me a way out for the church. A way of protection for the church. And I believe he was showing me that God is specifically going to do something in our church to keep us safe while the storm rages on. so I put my arm around it and the winter did not affect us. And as I prayed about that, the Lord said, the winter season, I'm equipping you for it so you can bring the church into safety with you. You can begin to direct and navigate all of the season that we're going in, that I'll give you insight and information to make sure that our church goes the direction of blessing, not cursing in a winter season. That though 1,000 fall at your left and 10,000 fall at your right, it shall not come to pass over us. It does not mean that the winter doesn't affect us for a minute. It's been affecting us. But if you'll get close in the congregation, if you'll keep yourself under the umbrella of what God is doing, then I believe we're going to come out of this and it's going to be fruitful. Because what happened was as I laid there, I put my arm around this tortoise and the tortoise began to breathe. And it began to slowly move, and the winter began to rage on. And suddenly, I looked around, and while the winter was around, it was no longer in the circumference around the tortoise. There was an area of protection around the tortoise. And as I looked up, I saw the raspberries and the blackberries on this bush, ripe and thick, in the middle of the winter. And so I reached up, and I grabbed these raspberries and these blackberries, and I began to feed the tortoise. And the tortoise began to eat with a vengeance. He's hungry, little turtle. Right, turtle, turtle. Okay. So he began to eat these raspberries and these blackberries, and he was consuming the fruit. And when he did, there was a joy and a gratitude that came back into this tortoise as color began to return to him. And, he, and he, it's the cutest little thing in the whole world. Okay, you ready for cute? Some of you guys can't handle the cute. But as I'm laying there next to this tortoise, as I feed him, he stretches his little head out. And he begins to rub his little head across my face. I told you. Just. And he's rubbing his face across my face to say thank you. You could tell there was gratitude and there was joy in this tortoise that had finally been fed. He couldn't reach the food, and I'm reaching the food and handing him this fruit that he couldn't quite reach. And I think so many in the church right now are going through seasons in their own life, emotionally, physically, where they're trying to reach for it, but they just can't quite reach that. And there are leaders that are called to reach up and grab that fruit and feed. Some of you are in this room, you've been the sheep, but God is saying you're going to be one that feeds. You're going to be one that gives. And suddenly as this tortoise began to show gratitude, the scenery around it changed. And suddenly me and a team of others, a large congregation, were suddenly in a summer season. And we were going up and down the coast, and there was beaches and palm trees and sand and water, and it was beautiful. And we were going up and down the coast on these beaches, proclaiming the good news, and everyone was receiving it. So I believe the Lord was speaking to me specifically about the body of Christ and our church. I believe He gave me scenery to show me what's coming next for our church. I believe that God is saying that he's going to begin to send us out at a whole new level as this winter season, as we press through it, there's going to be a breaking point where God begins to pour out a summer blessing, where the church begins to travel more, see more in nations, in our nation, and begins to equip and will send out even more than we ever have before. But I believe this, I believe that our church will watch the winter I shouldn't just say our church, but I should say the church. Let me be very clear what I'm saying here this morning. I'm not saying the church. I'm saying the church, and there is a difference. I'm not saying every building that's marked church is free from this winter season. But there is a remnant. There is a group of people that make up that remnant, the bride of Christ, those that are surrendered to His will, surrendered to His plan that God is using in this season, that He will move in a dead season, He'll bring life. See, we, we need to understand that this is what God does. That in the worst seasons, those that are faithful and obedient to what He is saying, what He is doing, and will stand with Him in the storm, that will not abandon God in the storm in their own lack of understanding. How many times have we faced critical situations in our life when we say, God, where are you? And we're frustrated and we want to pull away because we don't see his hand in the moment. But there is something that he's about to do for those that will stand even when they're frozen in the winter moment and say, God, I know you're about to come and change everything. So I'll stay where you called me to stay. I'll do what you've called me to do and I'll stay in right alignment with you. When God is about to show up in power and might, it is usually predated by trouble. So don't look at the trouble around you in the world as an indicator of a problem. Realize there's a solution about to show up. I'd rather see through the kingdom of heaven's eyes and through this world's eyes. I'm telling you, I've said it before. If the world is the problem, the world can't be the solution. A broken government can't fix a nation. All broken things do is know how to break other things. Woo! I'm about to date myself. You guys remember those things that you used to listen to music on? They were called cassette tapes. Do you remember those? Anybody in here remember those? Do you remember that in order to properly use a cassette tape, you had to have a pencil? Right? Not so you could write on it, so you could wind it back up when it got out of whack. Did anybody, right? You got to rewind it, get the tape all nice. Right, little 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 plastic tape, and you're and you know, you listen to some of those cassettes so long that they got out of um, uh, uh, alignment in there, right? They got off pitch. You play it, and it was like, "Wa. Oh, I played this too much. okay? It doesn't happen on Spotify anymore. you know, I listen to this song and repeat too much. Okay, But you had these cassette tapes and, and and what would happen is some of you remember this. You had your favorite cassette tape, and you put it in the player. And then the player did this thing where it got hungry and it decided your cassette tape was food and it ate the cassette tape. Does anybody ever remember that happening? And you're like, oh, it must've been a bad cassette tape. And what do you do? You go get another cassette tape. Hopefully you were smart enough to not use your favorite one. Okay, but you got that one like your grandma got you and you're like, "Mm mm-mm. So you put that one in there and it eats that one. Do you remember that? That the more you put in it, the more it ate. And that there was a problem with the player, not with the tape. And so we come into this season where we think that the same government that's broken can fix it. Anything good you put into something broken will only eat that which is good and turn it into broken itself. Teenagers are like, man, that would have been a great message if I understood anything he was talking about. Yeah, and then we had CDs, but that's a whole other thing. Then they would skip. Okay. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah, had plastic discs and it played music too. We can't ask the world to fix the world when the world is the problem and it's what's destroying everything. So we have to look for another solution. We have to be willing to look to heaven. And I'm telling you right now, the way in which we see heaven move on earth is when we make ourselves available in the winter season. When we make ourselves available and stand, even when everything around us is crumbling. In that very moment, we say, God, you have placed me here. I don't know how... I don't know how dark it's going to get. I don't know how much winter it's going to get. I don't know how cold it's going to get, but I will be right where you've called me to be. This is a good message for today. It's supposed to be spring and it's a little cold outside. But some of you said, I don't care if it's raining. I'm going to church. Some people said, I don't like the weather, so I'll stay home. And what happens is we miss the blessing and the breakthrough when we decide to tap out because it's not sunshiny. And as I said that, the sun came out. Not kidding. See, every time there's a storm, we know it'll pass. Every time there's a rain cloud, we know sun will come after. But how many times do we act like that in our own lives with our own walk with God? Let me say something to you. We talk, Last week was Easter, it was resurrection Sunday. It's the time where we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. Yes, sir. But it wasn't always that way. You can't celebrate a resurrection without mourning a death. You know, at the women's conference, I did a sermon and I talked about women ministers and how we support women being in ministry. I've had people call up and say, what do you guys think about uh, women in ministry before I come try out your church? I said, we like it. And if you don't, don't come here. I literally told that to someone. I said, if you have a problem with that, we're not the church for you. You should probably not come here. I don't need your negativity because I know what women were capable of. There's a reason. I talked a message and I, and I talked about women apostles and I talked about the women in the Bible and I talked about the woman at the well being the first evangelist that went in and evangelized a, a, a people group. Not just any people group, Samaritans who Jews, not just Gentiles, but people Jews hated. They did not like them at all. Yet this woman becomes the very first evangelist. It doesn't say she went in and told her girlfriends about it. It says she told everyone about it. Men, women, children, goats, whatever. Whoever would listen. She declared that. And we talk about that from that perspective, but I want to show you something. Not only was she the first evangelist, but the very first person to ever declare the resurrection, to preach about the resurrection of Jesus Christ to lead to salvation was in fact women. It was Mary at the tomb that was the first one to know the resurrection had taken place. She was the first one to tell anybody. Who'd she tell? A bunch of men. She went and said, hey, by the way, he rose. He's alive. The very first one to preach the very first Easter message was a woman. But I want to tell you why. Why why did God use a woman? There's several reasons, but I want to focus on one of them today. See, many times we can't handle the winter season. We can't handle watching the suffering that happens during that moment in between the breakthrough. Everybody wants to be an overcomer. Nobody wants to have to overcome. Everybody wants to be victorious. Nobody wants to fight. Everybody wants to be a giant slayer until you're looking at Goliath. We run from our Goliaths instead of standing up to him and sing victory. David never becomes king unless he confronts Goliath. So many of us see a 500-pound problem instead of the 500-pound opportunity that God has presented us with. So with the women, why did God use women to proclaim the resurrection first? I'll tell you why they were first to see the resurrection, because they were the last ones to see Jesus alive. Jesus had around 120 disciples. We know He sent out 70, so we know that for sure. We know there was 12 that were very close to Him. And yet, at the crucifixion of Christ, we see only one of those disciples remain. Only John the Beloved is there to watch Jesus die, but we do know that the women are present. We know the ladies don't leave Jesus' side, but they stand through the storm They're there during the death, so they get to be the first witnesses to the life. Peter walked away on this rock I shall build my church, but he ran away when the going got hard. And I'm telling you right now that when you will stand in the moment where it looks like death is the answer, if you will stand and be present and willing to stay by God's side, when everything doesn't look perfect, you will be the one that reaps the reward of the sunny season. It may look like death for a moment, but you'll be the first one to see it come to life. Mary got to be the first one to see it come to life because she was the last one to see it die. She stood by his side when everyone else abandoned him. If you're not willing to see the death, you're not going to see the life. See, Mary saw the abandoned tomb because they watched the occupied cross. We say, Lord, give me a word. Give me a revelation. Lord, use me. That's what we want. We ask for that. Peter said, surely, Lord, I will never leave you. I will never deny you. But if you can't stand unmovable when faith is uncomfortable, you'll never be the one carrying the fire of revival. If we want to be the tortoise that comes back to life, then we need to recognize that fruitfulness is our way out and forward into it. That we have to be a people that are fruitful. Being fruitful is about being intentional with intention itself. Let me say that one more time. Being fruitful is about being intentional with intention itself. A fruit intends to reproduce. Everything it does is to attract reproduction. The flower, the reason why a flower has brightness and beauty is to attract a bee, which will spread the seed of the flower. It will pollinate and produce fruit. It doesn't try to be beautiful to have value. Its beauty ensures its reproduction of its value. Some of you are getting quiet now. The way to let the beauty of God shine through you will attract those around you and allow you to walk in your calling. If you do not allow the beauty that God has given you to shine through you, your calling will be missed opportunities. Fruitfulness. Fruit. fruit doesn't pro- trees don't produce fruit because they want something sweet. They produce fruit to reproduce. Sweet's a byproduct, and it doesn't matter to the tree at all. The tree doesn't care if it's pretty. The tree doesn't care if it's tasty. The tree only cares about reproduction. It produces seeds. In fact, that tree wants its fruit to either be eaten or die so that the seed will replant. It does not worry about saving its own fruit life. It just cares that something wants to spread its seed, whether something eats it and spreads the seeds or whether the seeds fall into good ground and reproduce. Reproduction is what God is calling for. See, God set things in motion since the beginning of time. For us to be fruitful and multiply. I talked about that last week that in Genesis it says the very first command that God gave was to be fruitful and multiply. To go and subdue the earth. Take dominion over it. Be fruitful and multiply. But I think we've gotten that confused and misunderstood the mission. The mission is this. That we be fruitful and multiply and take dominion. And subdue, but what we've taken that is take control. What we've taken that is, is do whatever we want with the earth. So what we do is we set this wrong perception of what the beginning was like. How many you know that God is not into losing? He is not a defeated God, amen? And so I think his very first command will be one that is fulfilled. In fact, I'm pretty darn sure of it. He said, go into all the world. Take dominion. Go, let the signs of these follow that believe. Take dominion. Where we did not take natural dominion, He gave us supernatural dominion. But I believe that the supernatural dominion we take is now setting us up for natural dominion. I believe that natural dominion is coming because of supernatural dominion. I believe that until we walk in supernatural dominion, we will not see natural dominion. We are missing the natural dominion because we have not stepped into our supernatural dominion. I don't care how tough you are. You are not that tough to take over this world. I'm just sorry. Some of y'all, yeah, I, I know we live in Oklahoma. I got a lot of rednecks with good guns. I get it. You got a lot of guns, right? I got guns too. I got guns. I know how to use guns. Okay, I know how to forage. I'm better at it this week. Got some poke salad I was eating this week. Getting weeds out of my garden. Okay? I get it. I know how to do some stuff. But no matter how skilled, how tough, or how good a shot I am, I'm not taking over this world. We need to start recognizing that our natural dominion is never going to get us to what God called us to become. It must come out of the supernatural dominion that God called us to in the Great Commission. We have to see a supernatural dominion rise up in the church before we ever see the kingdom of God come down to earth. Well, why is that important? Because God's word called us to it. See, a lot of times we think of the Garden of Eden, we think of Adam and Eve getting kicked out of the Garden of Eden. They're like, oh, they lost their bed and breakfast. They have lost their safe space. They've lost their resting place. The Garden of Eden was never meant to be a place where Adam and Eve camped out in. What? Huh? But I thought he came down in the cool of evening and spent time with him. The Garden of Eden was not their safe retreat. It was not a vacation spot. It was a model home. It was meant to demonstrate what the world was to become. God gave them a finished product and said, this is what dominion looks like. Now spread the garden all over the earth. That's why sin couldn't enter the world. He didn't want death disease, destruction, to enter the rest of the world. It was always intended for everything to become the garden, not for the garden to be a safe place to retreat back to. How do I know that? Because in Revelations chapter 22, the word of God tells me that the garden that was in the beginning was always intended to become this earth. Amen? So if you have your Bible with you, turn to chapter 22 of Revelation and we'll read that. It says this in Revelation 22. Then he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb, in the middle of its streets. On either side of the river was the tree of life. Ooh, the tree of life. I thought we lost that in the Garden of Eden. See, archaeologists and biblical scholars, they keep trying to find out where the Tigris and the Euphrates meet and try to find where that tree is. They think if we just look hard enough, we'll find some cherubim with a flaming sword guarding it. Then we'll know we've stumbled on and the tree of life is there. I got news for you. The tree of life is safely in the kingdom of heaven and he'll bring it back when he's ready. Yeah. Says the tree of life bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. There will no longer be any curse and the throne of God and of the lamb will be in it. And his bond servants will serve him. They will see his face And his name will be on their foreheads. See, some of you are so worried about getting the mark of the beast. I always see this. Do you think this is the mark? And do you think that is the mark? No, none of those are the marks. You have to actively pursue taking the mark. You can't be tricked into it. Someone can't be like, here, just uh, take this. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Ha ha ha, I tricked you. You're going to hell. No! That's not a loving God says there's a mark on our foreheads. Why, why is the mark of the beast a mark on your foreheads? Why is that damnation to take the mark? Because it occupies the space where the mark of Jesus was supposed to go. See, before the kingdom of heaven comes down, his plan is to mark those that follow him with a mark on their foreheads. And his name will be on their foreheads. You can't put his name on your forehead when you've got Satan's name written across it. That's the problem. I promise you'll know. If someone walks up and says, hey, can I tattoo Satan across your head? Probably say no. Probably say no. You have to understand that it is a moment where you are reconciling yourself to God. You are making an active agreement that says, I will no longer serve you. You must renounce your faith. You can't accidentally get it. Nobody's going to slip it in your Wheaties. That's not how it works. Some of you are like, I'm not going to eat Wheaties anymore. You shouldn't anyways. It's gross. (laughs) Who eats Wheaties? And there will no longer be any night. And they will not have need of the light of the lamp nor of the light of the sun because the Lord God will illuminate them and they'll reign forever. I want you to catch this. There's no day, there's no night. There's the tree, there's the river of life. It is the garden again. The intention of God was always to set a model, an example of what the earth could be. And then he gave dominion over to his sons and his daughters, to Adam and Eve, and said, now take this, take the seeds of the garden and reproduce them through the earth. I've given you the seeds of heaven on earth. Now spread them and take dominion multiply the garden. That was the command. Not just to multiply people, but to multiply the garden. And when sin stepped in, it stopped the multiplication of the seed of heaven's perfect example. But Jesus created a way by His Spirit coming, by His supernatural commissioning to say, go again and take dominion over the earth. Go take dominion over sickness. Go take dominion over demons. Go take dominion over poison on the earth. See, some of you are like, why does he say that stuff about getting bit by snakes? What What if we drink poison? Like That seems, that's that kooky weird stuff. But God was starting to set a precedent that the corrupt things of the world can no longer kill you. They no longer have authority over you when you walk according to those that believe. And when you start to get to that level, you will start reproducing the seed's of the garden again, where there was no death, where there was no disease, where there was no destruction, and the enemy had no power over you. It's the moment when we start walking in real dominion. It's called garden dominion. Heaven's dominion. And in Revelation, it tells us that once again, the earth will become the garden. His goal hasn't changed. Man did not destroy his opportunity. At some point, the garden We'll take dominion over the earth. Heaven will be on earth. That was the plan from the very beginning. We think this world was a test. It didn't become a test until we failed it. It was always an opportunity for something in the natural to collide with the supernatural. For heaven and earth to become one. And so I believe that God's path and plan for the church right now, is to walk in supernatural dominion, which will bring about the natural dominion God has called us to. But if we won't step up, if you keep waiting on me to be the natural dominion, if I'm the only one walking in supernatural dominion, then we are never going to see natural dominion. If I'm the only one walking in supernatural dominion, this neighborhood will stay this neighborhood. Oh, Pastor Wren, you're moving over to that neighborhood? That's right, because I walk in supernatural dominion. At some point while we're here, this is going to turn into a garden. We're going to see heaven on earth. I'm not playing games. I am not preaching something I don't believe in. I'm going to go into a place that the seed has been corrupted, and I'm going to start to sow good seed and see the power of God transform that community. I got news for you. The more corrupted the seed the more voluntary the people will to take the good seat again. The darker the atmosphere, the more people will be drawn to the light. Our problem is we start going into places and we say, hey, we can fix this up. And they say, no, it's pretty the way it is. Anybody ever had wax fruit on their table? Anybody here ever had like a little, right? Hopefully we passed that season. You still got some wax fruit there. You ever see someone pick it up and try to eat it? It looks good. But if I come to you and say, hey, I I can give you some real fruit to replace that fake fruit. And you go, no, that's okay. See, ours looks good and it always stays looking good. It's not real. It has no value. It does offer nothing to you. When you are starving, you will still die. But boy, does it stay looking nice. And I'm more interested in it looking nice than it being nice. And so we live in in, in a wax fruit world. What do you need the real thing for when this one doesn't rot? And so that's what happened. So I wanted to go to the place where the food looked a little rotten. Where the fruit didn't look so ripe. So the people would say, I want what you have because it looks a whole lot better than what I have. We live in a world where we've tried to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth, but we bring the wax version of it. We don't want the real thing. We don't want the real thing. We just want something that looks like it. The Bible says this. It says having an appearance of godliness, but denying the power within. We have a waxed church culture. We just want to look like godliness, but we don't want to actually have anything of value within. If we proclaim that God is good and he doesn't heal, he's not that good. Is there a parent in here that would leave their child suffering when they have the ability to take it away? Let me know right now because I will call you out for not being good. Now, does that mean we don't let our kids learn from mistakes? Nope. We sure do. I don't know. Not in this society anymore. We bubble wrap our kids before they go anywhere. Let them have some metal slides in the summertime. They will learn. They will learn. The teenagers just look at you, blank stare. All the adults are like, "Ah, I remember that. I still got burn marks straight down there. And the boys were the ones that went down it all the time. I think that's why we have a generation of buttless men, right? They just, that's why they're flat. That's how it happened. Shave a few layers off. So I'm not saying we don't learn from, we don't live and learn. We don't do that, but we live in a culture that wants to wax everything and not walk in its power. I want to see the power of God move in our churches. I don't want to see a church where the pastor is the only one operating in the power. I never read anywhere that pastor equals power. That's not how it works. Pastor means we feed you. We give you food so you have the strength and energy to move forward. It was the turtle, it was the tortoise that I was saving so it could move forward. I was not the one moving forward, but I was laying down and covering it. See, the pastor is your covering. He gives you the fruit when you can't reach it. But we have to be fruitful and multiply if we're ever going to see the dominion of earth transform. If we're ever going to see our nation transformed. We have crises around the world. We got wars and stuff. Yes, uh, we, we, we created these alliances. Let me get political for half a second, okay? Yeah. We created these alliances with nations and we gave them names like NATO and your unions. You got European unions and you got NATO and you, you got these organizations where they came together and said, We're not going to allow any more meanness. We're all going to be nice to each other and be good nations and be good neighbors. And then we watch nations go to war, and what do they do? We're not doing nothing. We're not doing nothing. I'm not suggesting they should or they shouldn't do it. I'm just saying, what the heck is the point of a bunch of nations coming together and saying, we're going to make sure there's world peace. And then when there's not world peace, they say, well, what can we do about it? They don't solve the problem they said they were going to solve. They didn't come together and do anything. Might as well just be the little rascals club man woman haters club it serves no good it has no intentionality there's no purpose to it it's fulfilling nothing I hope that's like right in the middle of political I'm not getting that I'm not getting left and right I'm just talking facts here is that we have nations that say they're going to come together for a purpose and they do nothing and they allow atrocity I'm not giving you an opinion on the atrocity I'm just saying if the world is corrupt it can't fix its own corruption there has to be something that comes out of an uncorrupt place to see corruption destroyed. And the only uncorrupt place I know is heaven. The only corrupt person I know is Jesus. And if the solution doesn't come out of Jesus' mouth from a heavenly place, then we will see no change in the world. We'll see cycles. Well, it, but, but there was change. Eventually the war ended. Yeah, that's right. There are winter seasons. There are fall seasons. There are spring seasons. That's how it works. But seasons come around again. Cycles change. But see, in the garden, there was no season. In the garden, there was only glory. In the garden, it didn't rain. Did you know that? That the ground misted itself. There was no season. It was a greenhouse environment where nothing needed a season to sustain itself. And there has to be a moment where we stop going through the cycle of seasons and the church begins to shelter itself from the winter season and be its own season isolated like the, like the garden again. The church is the true garden. You don't need to look here or there. It says the kingdom of God is within inside you. The church is the true garden. And until we start replicating the seed that God has planted inside of our temple and start releasing that to a lost and dying world, they will stay in winter. Oh, we'll be safe. But the world will be under destruction. So how do we rise up out of that? How do we become what we're called to be? First, we recognize that we must be fruitful and multiply. Second, we have to recognize that our fruit is not for our own glory. It's not so we can go, look at that. Look at my harvest. There has to be a moment where we die to ourselves and we say our goal is replication. Our goal is duplication. Our goal is to drop seed everywhere we go and see God sprout up. We are not responsible for the fruit, but we are responsible to drop the seed we've been given. God gives the increase. We're called to sow and water and God gives the increase. But I'm telling you right now, can I just say this definitively? I believe that the dream that God gave me was very significant. That the church needs to rise up. And I thought it was significant that God gave me a tortoise. The tortoise did not turn into a hare after it came back to life. It did not turn into a cheetah and start running fast. Do not mistake slow for no. Nothing changes overnight. Do not be discouraged because we are not there yet. Do not be discouraged because the seeds you have planted in your life have not reaped the fruit you wanted out of them but I've been praying for my marriage and I haven't seen any change. Good, keep praying. I've been praying for my finances and I haven't seen any change. Great, keep praying. Keep allowing the good seed that God has put in you to be planted and watered for a harvest at such a time. I've been praying for our church. You know what? I have prayed for our church and prayed for our church and prayed for our church and I have watched the springtime come and I've watched the winter come. I've watched moments of harvest and I've watched moments of destruction. I've watched both in our church, but it does not mean that I stop praying, that I stop believing. And though it might go slow, man, I'm telling you right now, I'm preaching to myself, I'm stepping all over my toes because I am the cheetah, okay? Not a cheater, but a cheetah, okay? I want to run fast. I want to get there right now. The thing that God has told me is going to happen next year, I'm already over it and on to five years down the road. I'm already done. Kip cheer cheer. I'm a forerunner. Swahili it means forerunner. Kip cheer cheer. I'm already ahead. I'm already on to the next thing. I'm that guy that two weeks before the movie comes out, I start getting depressed because I know I'm gonna watch the movie and all the excitement's gonna be over. The day I go to watch the movie, there's not an excitement driving the movie theater. I'm like, three hours and not gonna have anything to look forward to. I'm not gonna have nothing. I'm already on to the next thing. I want to get there. I want to. If there's nothing next, I'm upset. Anybody in here like that? There's got to be a next, or I'm already upset. Well, those are to look forward to. There's got to be a next, or I'm upset. But I'm okay and comfortable. I've learned to be content in the slow-moving process of what God is doing on the earth. I don't have to get there tomorrow, but there needs to be fruit when it arrives. Oof. I remember one time we planted this tomato tree in a five-gallon bucket. Anybody ever done that before? Five-gallon bucket, little tomato tree. And that tomato tree grew, and it grew, and it grew, and it grew, and it grew up over the fence. Five-gallon bucket, eight-foot tomato tree. Okay, you're like, oh, no, that's tomato vine. No, this was a tree, okay? Mighty Oaks were jealous. And then it grew. And then it grew. The other tomato trees were three feet tall and they were producing tomatoes all over them. All over, bunches of tomatoes on the three foot tall one. But this one was eight feet and had no tomatoes on it. And then it turned into nine feet and then 10 feet, pretty soon 16 feet. It had gone up over the fence and down the neighbor's yard and was touching the ground on their side and trailing. It was almost 20 feet long. We had so many tomatoes in a five-gallon bucket, a 20-foot tall tomato tree. I'm like, we have mastered tomato gardening. We are going to be the world's greatest tomato planters ever, right? I'm going to have to sell all this to the store. But you know, while all the other three-foot trees were producing tomatoes, this one had yet to produce a tomato. And I said, ah, oh, it's big, but it's a lemon, like it hasn't done anything. But when it started to produce, you could not stop the the overflow of tomatoes. And the neighbor actually came over and said, hey, I'm really sorry, but the tomato plants on our side, my kids just keep coming out and picking them off and eating them. And he's like, what do you want me to do? And I was like, get them. I got too many on my side. Eat all you want. So the kids, their little kids would just go out there and eat tomatoes right off the tomato tree. And they had so many tomatoes, they never needed any tomatoes either. We went through a whole summer where two families had all the tomatoes they could handle from one five-gallon bucket. Didn't even care what the other ones were doing. But some of us, we get so frustrated because we see fruit in other three-foot plants' lives. We look at other people who are being fruitful and while we're waiting to be fruitful. We're waiting to be fruitful. And we're frustrated in that waiting process. But God wants you to know that if you will root and allow Him to grow you, that there'll be a moment in time where other people have fruited, but your fruit will remain when theirs are long gone that you are not just growing fruit for you, but you're growing fruit for your neighbors as well. That the fruit in your life, once it starts producing, will be an overflow of abundance to everyone around you, not just for you, but everyone around you. God wants you to not only be a blessing to yourself, but be a blessing to everybody else. Yes, He wants you to be a blessing to yourself because you can't be a blessing to everybody else unless you have first been blessed. Once you are blessed, you can begin to bless. But God is not interested in you being the only recipient of that blessing. Pressed down, shaken together, overflowing in abundance. God wants you to overflow. He does not want you to stay dry bones. He wants you to come to life and overflow and see the power of God transform our culture and society and see God remove the winter, remove the death, and see resurrection life in your life once again. Hallelujah. Jesus. We declare that it must be done right now. Resurrection power come to life, Lord. Bring to life everything that has turned dry. I declare that living water shall flow from the church once again. That the water of life begin to flow from us, not waters of death and poison waters, but I declare that every water poisoned against us shall not hurt us, but it shall turn to life in the name of Jesus. Everything the enemy meant to poison us will be reciprocated by the power of God, withdrawn and removed, and only the water of life can remain. Hallelujah. Our God unpoisons the well. Our God restores the dead back to life. Our God takes dry bones and puts flesh back on them once again. And in a season where you've lost your color, God will turn you into a flower again. He'll make your seed spread further than you ever thought it could. And the fruit in your life that died... And you looked around and said it rotted away. I declare in this season every seed shall plant. And you'll see a greater harvest than what died. The one fruit died, 20 will emerge. And so I declare it right now in the name of Jesus. The 1,000 fall at our left and 10,000 fall at our right. I'm telling you, I'm declaring it to you prophetically. This season is not an easy season. Your stocks have gone down. Your gas has gone up. I get it. Mine too. But I'm telling you that the church, as we navigate with the Holy Spirit, will survive this moment. But I don't know about you, but I'm not interested in surviving. I'm interested in thriving. And that's what's about to happen. That's what's about to happen. But if you try to do it on your own, you will find yourself like the tortoise, isolated and alone, freezing to death. You cannot go through this season alone. You cannot do it on your own. Can I, can I say that one more time? You cannot do it on your own. Amen. And, and I don't mean just show up to church. I'm not pastor talking right now. I'm not just saying just show up to church. You've got to become the church. You have to be joined to the church. You can't just show up, listen to a good sermon and bounce. You're not connected. If you're not connected, you'll be cut off. I'm telling you right now, Frostbite will take you out in a second. You have to stay connected so that circulation will keep coming to you in the moments where you find a freeze upon you. So, Father, we just declare right now, I pray and declare right now, Lord, that you are connecting everybody to the body of Christ right now. That you are raising up a remnant of people that will chase after you. That will bring the garden back to the earth, Lord. That will supernaturally begin to release the power and authority of God over their lives and over the lives of others. That will unashamedly plant seed of the garden and not allow people to live in their mess. That there'll be a message For those in a mess. That Father right now I declare right now that every good seed that's been planted in their life would start to harvest. Would start to be raised up Lord as they water that harvest. As they water that seed. As they begin to diligently pursue intentionality of being reproductive. As they intentionally are seeking to be reproductive. Lord that we are not in survival mode anymore. Winter can go on without us. We're going to walk in your blessing in your harvest season as winter rages for others. We're going to pull them out of their winter and put them right into harvest season, Father. And I declare there'll be a great and mighty harvest that bursts from this church, Father. And so I speak it, I declare it, and I release it in the mighty name of Jesus. Father, thank you. We want to pray for you. Send us a message with your prayer requests through Facebook or email and let us know how we can pray for you today. Also, let us know how this message impacted your life. I love you. God loves you. Shalom.